be in Luke chapter 24 today. I know that it's the first Sunday in December and our minds are, are gearing towards Christmas, but today I'm going to preach on the resurrection of Jesus Christ and uh, something uh, that is very important that goes with that resurrection. It is the power that we need. Uh, now, we've already had one church service here today at 9 o'clock, and uh, when the invitation was given at uh, 9 o'clock service, a man came forward and uh, bowed right there at that altar and invited Jesus Christ into his heart. Uh, his name was Charles Robbins, and the amazing thing is, 82 years old. 82 years old. He got saved today. Uh, it is Charlotte Copeland's dad, and uh, tell you what, they... Ray, y'all been praying for him for a long time, haven't you? And uh, God answered that prayer today, and he was saved. What a great service we've already had. And I tell you what, uh, second service is coming along too, isn't it? It's great. Uh, let me read Luke chapter 24 to you, beginning in verse 36. Now, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened. And suppose that they had seen a spirit. Some translations use the word ghost. They thought Jesus was a ghost. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, Have you any food here? So you got to believe Jesus was free will Baptist, right? Because he... Well, that's my poor humor, I suppose. Have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate in their presence. Then he said to them, These are the words which I have spoke to you while I was still with you, that all these things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and arise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued or clothed with power from on high. Heavenly Father, I pray a blessing on your word. Uh, may we receive the message of grace that you have for us today. And as I speak on the outside, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts. Challenge us, Jesus, to be a witness for you. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I believe it is so easy for individual believers and for churches to become just like the carnival cruise ship called Triumph who sailed this February, February of 2013. The ship was sailing out of the Gulf of Mexico. 4,200 passengers were on board when a fire broke out in the engine room and it knocked out the ship's power. 
There was nothing for the crew and passengers to do but to sit as the ship drifted powerlessly in the Gulf's current for a total of five days. Without the electricity to cook food, there was very little to eat. Drinking water was in short supply. The rooms on the ship were so hot that people had to sleep on the upper deck. Let me tell you, the cruise ship Triumph wasn't living up to its name. (laughs) Nor could it complete its mission because it had no power. Same thing can be true of believers in churches who bear the name of Jesus Christ, but don't live in the victory and the power that goes along with that name. We can't finish the mission that Jesus has given to us because of a lack of power in our lives and in our church. I don't know, but I would guess many of us feel like the first followers of Jesus in Luke chapter 24. Unsure of our place, unprepared for the task, and unequal to the challenge. Well, what happened to the followers of Jesus needs to happen to us. We need to get the power of God in our life. We need what Jesus' first disciples needed. What did they need? Number one, they needed a new certainty. It was a band of bewildered, discouraged disciples who had returned to Jerusalem after the fateful events of the weekend of Jesus' crucifixion. Their hopes had been dashed against the hard rocks of reality. There was strong evidence that Jesus was raised from the dead, but the reality of that had not gripped them yet. And so when Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you, they were terrified. They were frightened. In fact, the Bible says they thought he was a spirit or a ghost. They couldn't believe it was true. But what they needed was the reassurance and the certainty that it was really true that Jesus was alive. So in verse 44, he said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that was written about me in the law of Moses, in the prophets, and in the Psalms. You see, the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms were the three divisions of the Old Testament that are referred to in the New Testament. And friends, what I have to say about that is this. You find Jesus on every page of your Bible. Whether you're reading in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, this book is about Him and God's plan of redemption that was fulfilled through His Son, Jesus Christ. But without the assistance of the Holy Spirit, these disciples were having a difficult time putting all the pieces together. So it says in verse 45 that Jesus opened their minds so that they could understand the Scriptures. That's amazing to me. Absolutely amazing. Jesus has access to our minds. To yours right now. (laughs) He knows exactly what we're thinking about. But not only that, he can open up our understanding where our own intellect fails. He can help us understand the truth of the Word of God. So that's what he did to these disciples. And then he told them in verse 46, This is what is written, that the Christ will suffer 
and that he will rise from the dead on the third day. Now, church, listen to me. I am so convinced that the reason our witness and our service is so anemic is that we do not have the sense of certainty that Jesus is really alive and living inside of us by the power of His Holy Spirit. You see, as a believer, as a Christian, you don't go anywhere throughout your day where Jesus hasn't already been. Every second you live in the presence of the risen Lord. He walks with you and He talks with you throughout your every day. Make no mistake about it, Jesus is alive. And here's the cool thing, if you're a believer, if you've invited Him into your heart, He is alive in you. And you can have the certainty of that. Not long ago, I was uh, visiting with a, a guy that's a friend of mine. I, I, I know this guy from another town, and we were having lunch together. And, and uh, you know, I know the guy, but I don't know his background. I didn't know if he was a believer. I didn't know if he went to church. Uh, but eventually, our conversation uh, at, at the lunch table turned to Christianity, to religion, to churches. And he made this statement. He said, you know... Well, I just don't know if a person can be sure that they're saved or sure that they're going to heaven. Let me tell you, that opened a can of worms for us. Huh? Got into a little deep discussion about that because you know what? You can be sure. We can know for sure that Jesus died on a cross, that our sins were placed upon his body, that he died for us, that his blood was shed for the remission of our sins, that Jesus was buried in a tomb, and on the third day he rose again. We can be sure of that. We can have certainty of that. And what's beyond that, you can be sure right now, if you have invited Jesus into your heart, you have confessed your sins to him, you have accepted him as Lord and Savior of your life, you can be sure of the fact that you are saved. And that you're going to heaven. They needed the certainty. They needed to know that this was real. Church, I'm telling you, it's real. <laughs> Jesus is alive. I know because he's living in me. Number two, they needed a new urgency. Verses 46 and 47, Jesus told them, This is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in His name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Now, it's really important that we get this. So y'all pay attention this morning, okay? This is really important. There are three words in this passage that cannot be separated. It's the word suffer, the word rise, and the word preached. If we were reading this out of the original Greek New Testament, those three words would actually appear one right after the other. Suffer, rise, preached. They all go together. Christ will suffer. And we know that he suffered on the cross. Our sins were placed upon him. He suffered physically. He suffered spiritually. Christ will suffer. Number two, he will rise from the dead. And we know that he did. And then number three, the gospel will be preached. Now, we get the death and resurrection part because we know how important those two things are for our own salvation. And we believe that. But do we get it? 
I mean, do we really get it that just as sure as Christ must suffer and be raised, do we really get that also along with that the message of those events must be preached because they go together? And the cool thing is God has chosen us to do the preaching, to do the announcing. Notice what is to be announced or preached. Two things. Repentance. This is what must be preached. Repentance. Repentance is what we must do. Repentance means to change your mind. It means that we understand that in our sin, we are going in the wrong direction. And by faith, we must turn from our sin to Christ. And make no mistake about it. You cannot be saved apart from repentance. Unless you repent, you will perish, the Bible says. That's our part, we repent. Second thing that we must preach is forgiveness of sin. Or as some translations say, remission of sin. This is what God does. We repent, God forgives. Forgiveness deals with the guilt that we bear because we are sinners. And you know, only God can take that away. You can try any other synthetic substitute that this world offers to take away the guilt from your sin, but you cannot remove it. Only Jesus can take that away with his blood. And with the guilt removed, we can freely walk with God. So that is what we must preach, repentance and remission of sin. And then Jesus said to his followers, this is to be preached to the nations beginning at Jerusalem. Now, folks, this is the way it always is. It starts right here where we are. If he were writing this to us today or speaking it to us, he would say it must be preached to the nations and it must begin right here in the River Valley. But it doesn't end here. You see, we are responsible for the nations of the world. That means people groups. We are responsible to preach this message of repentance and remission of sins to all the people of the world. So we must get beyond just believing the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ and we must be urgent about proclaiming the repentance and forgiveness of sin. And we must get beyond just urgency about our own little circle of family and friends to witness to, and we need to witness to the nations of the world. And then notice that Jesus says in verse 48, you are witnesses of these things. He doesn't say you ought to be a witness. He says you are a witness. And if you have been saved by His grace, you are a witness. You know what Jesus has done for you. You've witnessed His grace and His power and His mercy. The real question is, what kind of witness are you going to be? Are you going to be a silent witness or a vocal witness? I don't know if you've ever been called to serve on jury duty. If you have, you know how this works. There are witnesses who are called to testify either for the prosecution or the defense. And a witness is somebody who simply comes up and tells what they have seen or heard. As a witness, you are not the judge, nor are you the prosecuting attorney. You're simply someone who comes forward and tells all that you have seen and all that you have heard. And we are his witnesses. 
because we have experienced the reality of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ in our life. He's changed us. He's transformed us. He's turned us into a new creation. All the old junk in our life is gone and everything is brand new. Guilt, gone. <laughs> Forgiveness and peace is here. Mm. I, I really wonder, do we have that sense of urgency to do what God has called us to do, to be a witness? You know, I'm, 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 honestly, I'm not trying to make you feel bad today. But here's the reality. We, we, we need to get on with the program, you know? We really do. God's called us to a very important task. People all around us are dying every single day, and a lot of them are going to hell. And the only thing to prevent people from hell, fire, and damnation is a witness for Jesus Christ. Thank God for the attitude that Brother Edwards had. If I could just win one more before I go to heaven. Just, that's all I want to do is win one more person to Jesus. God help us to have that urgency, that desire to see people come to Christ. Well, how can that happen? Well, number three, we need a new energy. Uh, th these disciples that were given this task were just common men, just ordinary Joes like the rest of us in this room. So how in the world could a group of common people ever hope to fulfill that kind of assignment that Jesus just gave? to announce repentance and forgiveness of sin to the nations of the world. Well, I tell you, the only way it could happen is if they were energized with power that was outside of themselves. They needed a power from on high. They needed a new power source for their lives and for their ministries because they couldn't do it on their own. You know the cool thing about that? God knew it. He had already devised a plan to empower his followers to be a witness. Verse 49, Jesus said, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised. You stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. You see, just as God planned the crucifixion of Christ and the resurrection of his Son, he also planned the sending of the gift of the Holy Spirit. And church, here's what you need to understand. Jesus comes to literally dwell inside of us by His Spirit when we are saved. When you confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior and invite Jesus into your heart, the power of the Holy Spirit comes into your life. The Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. It is the same power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us that raised Jesus from the dead. And let me tell you, we all need this power if we're going to live the life that God has called us to live. Do you get that? You can't do it without His power. If you are going to live the life God has called you to live, it has to be lived in the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, just to get up every day and do the right thing, you've got to have the power of God in your life. Because the world has such a drag on us. The temptations from the world are, are so pervasive in our society. We have to have something stronger than just sheer willpower to say no to the devil and the temptations of the world. You've got to have the power of God in your life. And if you're going to be a witness for Christ in such a 
carnal world like the one we live in, it's going to take the power of God. Do you understand that just as sure as it was God's will for Christ to suffer and rise from the dead, that it was also God's will for repentance and forgiveness of sins to be preached in His name to everyone, and that it was also God's will that we do this through the power of the Holy Spirit? And that's the power we have in our life. Really, all this comes in a package deal. We can't just say, you know what, I want the cross and the resurrection because I know that's what I need to be saved and make it to heaven. So I'll just take, you know, two of the four. No. The cross, the resurrection, the preaching of the message of repentance and forgiveness of sin, and the power of the Holy Spirit all come together. Witnessing and serving God is not something that we do for God. It is something God does through us. Really, it, 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 it becomes who we are, people. We are His ambassadors. We are His witness. And He gives us the power to do it. If we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we have the power. And I understand there is a huge difference between giving a sales talk for Jesus and being a spirit-empowered witness for Christ. Luke picks up on this in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He says, But you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You see, the purpose of the giving of the Holy Spirit was not just to fire up our emotions in a worship service and to make us feel good. woo Now, we kind of like that, don't we? We like that feeling we get when we're here and the band's really banding it up and the singers are singing. And man, it's energized. We're feeling, woo-hoo! Makes us feel good. I want to go to a church that's spirit-filled. Yeah. But do you understand that is not the main purpose for the power of the Holy Spirit in us? The reason God gave us the power of the Holy Spirit is to give us the energy that we need to live the holy lives that God has called us to live and to be the powerful witnesses that we are supposed to be. I know this is a sorry illustration, but I want to give it anyway. It's kind of like sniffing gasoline fumes to get high. I hope none of you have ever done that before. But did you know that's possible? You can sniff the fumes of gasoline, and those fumes will make you high. It's probably going to kill some brain cells, but it's going to get you high. But did you realize that is not the purpose of gasoline? Gasoline is a fuel. And the ministry of the Holy Spirit was not given just to make you feel good. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is fuel. It's power. It's energy. To enable us to do the task God has called us to. And that is to be a witness for Him. I spoke about this a second ago, but I need to drive it home today because you need to hear this, church. You cannot be his witness if you're just like the rest of the world. 
If you're conforming to the world and you think like the world and you act like the world, you cannot be a witness for Jesus Christ. It takes something different in your life. And the only way you can have this difference is by having the energy and the power of the filling of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, you understand, when you get saved, you get the Spirit. We get the gift of the Spirit when we're saved. But beyond that, we need to be filled with the Spirit every day. We need to have the energy and the power of the Spirit of God filled up in our life every day. Let me close by giving you two images that will hopefully, hopefully help you understand what I'm talking about and experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit in your life. The fullness of God that not only produces the fruits of the Spirit, but also gives you the powerful life of service and witness that Jesus has called us to. And the first image is simply breathing. Now, hopefully everybody in this room is doing that right now. We're breathing. When you breathe, you are exhaling and inhaling. When you exhale, you're getting rid of the carbon dioxide. We'll call it dirty air. Even though I know that technically that's not the case, but we're calling it dirty air. You empty your lungs of the dirty air. And as your lungs are emptied of this dirty air, you have room in your lungs to inhale clean air, oxygen. And this oxygen is the fuel that our body must have if it's going to live. And when it comes to the Holy Spirit, our spirits must have room for the fullness of the Spirit of God to pervade in our life. So to have that, we must first exhale the dirty air of sin and selfishness and self-sufficiency. And then we're free to inhale the clean air of the sweet Holy Spirit of God. It's out with the bad stuff, sin, self-sufficiency, selfishness. In with the fullness of the Spirit of God. And this is to be done on a continual basis for believers. Not just a crisis event. You don't just breathe one time. You continually breathe. Our fullness of God's Spirit should come as naturally and consistently as breathing. Every moment we're exhaling this, this sin and this selfishness and this self-sufficiency. When a temptation comes, we get rid of it. When a terrible thought comes, we exhale it. When a sinful thought emerges in our mind, we get rid of it. We don't let any of that junk abide in our life because when it's abiding in our life, it's consuming the room and the space that the Spirit of God needs to live through us. So it's out with the bad stuff and in with the Spirit of God. The, the, the second image that is given here is, is actually an image that comes right here from verse 49. Jesus said, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised. You stay in the city of Jerusalem until you have been clothed with power from on high. So here's the charge. You guys hang out here. You just wait right here. 
because I've got something for you. Now, they weren't twiddling their thumbs. They were preparing and praying and getting ready for it. But Jesus said, you wait right here until you have been clothed with power from on high. Now, what an interesting little image or statement that Jesus made. You're going to be clothed with power, and it's not your power. This power is coming from heaven. You're going to be clothed with power. The, the power is like a garment, and God is going to put this garment on us. It's not the first time this image is used in the New Testament. In fact, Paul refers to this image numerous times. He says, take off the old garments of sin and put on the garment of righteousness so that you can live a holy life. It's like the illustration, just every morning you get up and you put on your clothes, don't you? You put something on to wear. Well, this passage says that God is going to put on us the garment of His power. It's like we get up every morning and we put on Jesus. Just like I put on my clothes. And Jesus covers our sin. But He also lives His life through us. We are clothed with His righteousness and with His power. So, listen to me, church. When you get up in the morning, be clothed with power from on high. When you walk into the classroom, students, understand you are clothed with power from on high. When you get up and sing, understand you have been clothed with power from on high. When you stand to preach or to witness, know that you've been clothed with power from on high. When you walk into a board meeting at work or to your boss's office, understand you have been clothed with power from on high. When you go to the doctor's office, understand God has clothed you with power from on high. When you go to Walmart, <laughs> you get the point? It's his power. And he's giving it to us so we can accomplish the task he's called us to. It's a package deal. Jesus did suffer. Your sins were placed on his body as he hung on that Roman cross. His blood was shed for the remission of your sins. Jesus died to take your sins away. He was buried in the tomb, but praise God, he rose the third day. That is the good news of the gospel. And Jesus says, this good news, this message of repentance and remission of sin must be announced. It must be preached. If people are going to make heaven their home, they've got to hear the good news. Guys, listen to me. Again, people are dying around us every day. And without the good news, they're going to hell. If they're going to hear, you've got to tell them. But Jesus knew it would be tough on us. We couldn't do it in our own power. So he's given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And as we are continuously filled with the Spirit of God... We have the power of God in our life to live not only holy lives, but to be a witness for Jesus Christ. Church, that's my prayer. I'm, a, I'm being a little selfish right here. That's what I want in my life. That's what I'm going to ask God for during the invitation. God, give, give me an extra dose of that power. 
Because, Lord, you know I need it right now. If you're here this morning and you've never invited Jesus into your heart, just like Charles Robbins did a little bit over an hour ago, you can be saved. Your life can be transformed. doesn't matter if you're 8 or 82. Jesus will save you. Will you come to him? There could be a few of you here today and you've been saved, but you're not living for the Lord. You know that. Would you come this morning and get close to Jesus? The Bible says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Maybe you're here today and your, your heart is just burdened. Uh, you, you just need to come and pray. Well, that's what this time is for. That's what these altars are for. We want you to come and pray. And if you'd like, somebody will come and pray with you. Heavenly Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name that you would do something special in this room. Lord, for that person who needs to come and receive you as their Savior, may they have the courage to do so. Lord, for those who are away from you, may they come home.